I just got to say a huge thank you to all of you making it, and especially to Chris, Dorothy who helped out, uh, Brian for making this place. This is our youth room at St. Philip's, and I wish you could have seen it beforehand because it didn't look this hospitable, I'll tell you that. So um, we're super excited to continue on. We do pray for Henry's and hope their plumbing is better, but we didn't want to risk that tonight. So um, if this is your first time, welcome to Theology on Tap. This is not where we normally meet. We're over at Henry's on the market uh, every other Tuesday, but this is where we're going to be tonight. And um, you'll see these little sheets of paper around the room. And if you're a veteran, you know, it's, this is old hat for y'all. But um, you can ask any question at any point in the evening, regardless of what we're about to talk about. Uh, and the way you do that is by scanning this QR code here at the top. So hopefully you'll see some of these kind of laying around. Uh, if you want to join our email list, you can do that here below to stay in, uh, in touch with, with what's going on with Theology on Tap. I told y'all I would find him. Y'all were like, there was a question last week, or two weeks ago, it was like, stop hiding Brian McGreevy. So um, he is back from his vacation. We're so glad that you are here. And actually, so I told y'all we were going to talk about Jesus and how it applies to life. But really, we're just going to hear from Brian the whole time in his vacation. He brought his slides. He's going to share yeah, all the Yeah, it's four hours of slides. I'm sure yeah. y'all are down for that, right? So please do. No, but tell, tell us a highlight of uh, your time over uh, basically the last month. Just so that people know that you did, you weren't just like avoiding yeah. us. Well, there were a lot of amazing highlights, um, seeing people that I haven't seen in a long time, but also just being in some beautiful places. And one thing that was particularly incredible is uh, you might know that I'm somewhat a fan of C.S. Lewis, and uh, my friend that has Lewis's old job at his college in Oxford had arranged with the psychology department chairman who has his office now in Lewis's old rooms um, to vacate for an hour so we could go spend an hour in the room where Lewis knelt by his bed and prayed to become a Christian and the room where the Inklings met. Um, it was just really amazing. So That's pretty sweet. Well, you came back, you had a lot of uh, really neat stories and I remember the, the sermon that you preached right when you got back about the locusts and the, uh, the clock the that clock. you saw. Yeah, That was really, really cool. Um, but one of the things that we were going to talk about, the reason the topic for tonight came up really from that sermon that mm -hmm. you preached right when you got back, uh, it, it got me thinking about man, some of the ways that we tend to think about Jesus, right? Like, I don't know if you've, this is going to date me a little bit, but the, uh, the movie Talladega Nights with Ricky Bobby, there's that scene where they're like, um, you know, I like, he's praying to infant baby Jesus, and he's like, I like to think of Jesus, you know, wearing a, a tuxedo shirt, and because he likes to have fun, but he's also kind of formal, and, you know, people making all sorts of ideas about Jesus, how we like to think about him, and the, the text that you preached on was kind of shocking, because we don't tend to think um, about Jesus in that way, or we tend to make Jesus kind of into how we want to think about him, so tonight... We're going to take just this one verse, um, but there, there are a number of places that Jesus says some pretty radical things that we don't necessarily picture him saying. So um, tonight the passage is from Luke 14, 26. And what I hope to do is just kind of like really ask you, like, what, what is he saying? What does he actually mean? More importantly, like how does this impact our lives? Like what he's actually saying, what does that mean for us in the day to day? So he says this, this is Jesus' words. 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. All right, that is pretty crazy. What in the world does that mean, Brian? Yeah, well, I think we can both answer the question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just letting you. Yeah, say. I think that this one of the things I love about this passage is that when you first look at that, particularly when you pull it completely out of context, like we just did, um, you look at that and you're like, "Well, that doesn't sound like Jesus." I'm going to skip that part. Um, but that is that is not the way to deal with the scriptures because we believe that the scriptures are the Holy Spirit-inspired word of the Lord, and that all of the scriptures point to who Jesus is. And I think when you look in the context of what's going on here, this is right after, uh, you might remember there is the story that Jesus tells about the rich king that has a banquet. And he sends out invitations to this amazing banquet. And in that culture, if, you, if the king invites you to a banquet, um, there's only one correct response to that. But the people who get this invitation, which is like this beautiful, hand-delivered invitation, um, they turn down the invitation, and they say things like, I have bought a cow. <laughs> yeah, I bought a cow. Or I've married a wife, like those who are equivalent. Um, <laughs> And, and I can't come because I'm too busy because I've got, I've got other things in my life, you know, so I can't come. And then immediately after that is when Jesus says this saying about if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father, mother, brother, or sister, and even his own life, he's not worthy to become my disciple. And part of what's going on here is we have to remember Jesus is a really smart guy, okay? So Jesus knows about literary devices, like I said in my sermon, that you learned from your middle school English teacher if you were awake. Um, and you learned about things called hyperbole, which you might have thought was pronounced hyperbole. Um, but hyperbole, exaggeration to make a point. And that's what Jesus is doing here. The word that's translated hate can also mean um, love less. And what Jesus is basically saying here is that if we are gonna to try to follow him, if we wanna be in relationship with him, that has to be the thing in our life. It can't be that we're trying to do that and some other thing simultaneously because we'll be torn apart. And one of the things about Jesus' teaching is Jesus is not real big on what I would call gray. In our culture, we like Grave. It's like, you can kind of think this way or that way, and it doesn't really matter. Jesus is pretty clear that there are choices in life, and those choices matter. So I think part of what he's trying to get at here is that if we are serious about following him, everything, relationships, work, our own life, our dreams, our goals, all of those have to be put aside to be totally invested in our relationship with him. And the reason for that is that he's the one who made us and made us for joy. And so if we are pursuing anything else besides him, um, we're not going to be able to live into what his design is. Yeah. No, I, I loved what you shared. Um, I, I mean, have y'all ever come across in conversation somebody like just dropping 
know, a verse or something like that, being like, see, this is crazy, so I don't really, like, I'm not for religion, I'm not for Jesus or anything like that, or Christianity, like, ever come across somebody just plucking a verse like that and being like, boom, gotcha? Or is that just me? Maybe you've seen it around a little bit, but, like, what you said uh, on Sunday when you were back was really helpful, is, like, we have to look at all of what the Bible says. Like, fundamentally, if we believe the Bible is God's word, um, and this is why I want to choose this thing, like, walk through kind of how you might respond mm-hmm. in, in a conversation like that. So, fundamentally, if we believe all of the Bible is God's word from beginning to end, and if God is all truth, if he, is, he doesn't contradict himself, he doesn't lie, then... And we, he purposes are good. And he purposes are good. Yeah. Then we have to take every scripture in such a way that they're not going to contradict each other. You can't set one place of the Bible over against another in the, in the way like they contradict. So um, one of the things that when you look at this verse in particular, uh, you, you see that, yeah, God says in the Ten Commandments, like, honor your father and your mother. He says uh, in Ephesians through Paul to husbands, love your wives. He says, Jesus himself says, love your neighbor as you love Yourself, you're to actually yes, in some sense, love yourself. You're supposed to love all, and that, that, so the scriptures are clear on you're supposed to love your father and mother and your spouse and your children and all that. So how do we make sense of this? Well, it's a, just just what you said. There's it's got to be a relative sense of understanding, hating your father and mother in that like your love for them when compared to your devotion and your affection for Jesus actually kind of resembles more a, a hatred as opposed to and it's talking about a relative priority of where your ultimate focus is and you conveyed that so clearly uh, in, in your sermon how might that um, you know if he was speaking to us today in our culture what are some of the ways I mean so the excuses they said in the context prior to like you just said I bought a cow, or I got married. Some of those are pretty lame, like the buying the cow. Like, okay, but they're like, I got married, so I can't. Cow's a lot of work, man. A cow could be a lot of work. So, like, ranging from pathetic excuses to like really valid excuses, they still get distracted and they don't accept the invitation to the banquet. What would you say are some of the ways that we might become distracted or have excuses? So, what might this passage say to us today? Well, I think there are a lot, and it, you know, it all depends on our individual lives and what, what things we're dealing with. But I think part of what happens is that we, even as Christians, even if you're a Christian who's serious about your faith, we kind of buy into this cultural myth that we can have it all and that we can do everything and that with seven 24-hour days each week, we can have amazing fit bodies. We can be at the top of our professional ladder we can have amazing, beautiful families. We can have incredible, fulfilling, romantic relationships. We can be saving the world through our volunteer work. Um, we can be getting promoted over and over again because we're doing such a great... And the, the problem is we have this idea that we, we can simultaneously have all of those things. And part of what Jesus says over and over again, and he says this in the story of Mary and Martha as well, um, in that story where Martha is distracted serving Jesus. Notice she's serving Jesus. She's distracted serving Jesus. Mary is just listening to Jesus. And um, in one of the translations, the way it puts this is she has chosen the one essential thing. 
And I think for many of us, we know that idea of being single-minded about something is really hard for us to get our heads around. And um, we, we're committed to our faith, but we're also committed to a lot of other things. And there's a book that has recently come out in the UK that's making a big splash over there and starting to make a big splash over here um, that's called 4,000 Weeks. Has anybody heard of that? Um, and the subtitle is Time Management for Mortals. And it's written by a guy who was a big management guru in England and had written all this stuff about maximize your time and how to use your daytime or Google Calendar, like get every last second productive. And he basically says, I was totally wrong. Disobey everything I've said about that. Um, the problem is that we have this idea. How many of y'all know about the big rocks and sand exercise? Okay. Um, and the, this happens actually in business school sometimes. You know, they use this example. I'm trying to set priorities. And so you have this jar with these big rocks and sand, and you have to dump it out, and you have to get everything back in there. And the problem is, if you put the sand in first, you just can't get everything back in. So what you do is you take everything out, you put the big rocks in, and then you pour the sand, and the sand pours itself over and shapes around so it all fits in. And so sort of the idea is if you make your prior priorities plural and get those first, then everything else will work around it. But the thesis of this 4,000 Weeks book is the problem in our culture is we have five times as many big rocks as any culture mm. before ever did. And you can't even get the big rocks in the jar. And that we have to um, look through a narrower lens at life. And so I think you know, it really can be anything other than your faith that can get you distracted. Um, I think for most of us, work is one of the big things that takes away um, entertainment is another thing a lot of us, we wouldn't say this out loud probably, but a lot of our, if you did a time audit, a lot of our goal in life would seem to be being entertained. So I think part of it is retuning our thinking to believe that Jesus really does want to do exactly what he said in John 10, where he says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And if we really believe that following Jesus would bring us more joy than anything else that there is out there, that's what we do. But we tend to hedge our bets. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's really, I, th I think certainly we're an entertainment culture that's comfort and pleasure and entertainment are big things as they are really in, in any age, but especially today. But I would say, in addition to that, like what you're saying, the amount of good things, actually, that will, th that's what you really have to be on guard. Notice when he's talking about, like, these relationships of uh, your spouse, your parents, your children, these are really important loves that yeah, you're, you're supposed to have. Prostitutes and doing drugs. Right, right. No, right. And, and I think that's got a lot of wisdom for us, is, you know, caring for your health. I think, especially as a parent right now, I'm in a, I'm seeing this in my own heart and with, um, with friends, too, like, the it can be so easy to become consumed with your children and your world kind of revolving around them and becoming distracted and not actually living into the life that's focused and centered upon mm -hmm. Jesus in that sense. Um, but, you know, in any, whether it's in med school or school or whatever it is, like you can end up having all of these really important good things that you're called to do that can eventually eclipse 
the main thing you're yes. talking about. One of the things I was going to ask you, and maybe you all heard this, but Jesus really puts a whole lot of emphasis on himself. It's kind of self-centered and absorbed. Like, is he a megalomaniac? <laughs> um, no. Why does he talk so much about himself? Uh, the reason he talks about some, he talks about himself a fair amount. But as we heard in the sermon this week, which um, I would commend to you the sermons on the website. They're a great resource, um, especially the one last week that Jeff preached. And he talks about Jesus, who's talking about himself in that passage. And he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he talks about, come to me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when Jesus is talking about himself, he says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. And all of the things that he says about himself are things that a creator says to try to give life to his creation. And so um, Jesus' words, even when they're about himself, are profoundly other-centered in a way that if you go and just read Jesus's I am statements, it will blow your mind. I mean, it is um, so profound about how he is saying, follow me is a completely different way of life. Yeah, if he is, in fact, who he said he is, if he is God, and God is pure and spotless without any darkness in him, he's pure good, then to actually look anywhere else would be robbing you ultimately of the, the deepest joy that he's intended for you. What's the, is it Lewis who had that quote of um, you can't look, uh, basically to look outside of God for anything like that? Is it yes, he said God cannot give us happiness or joy outside of himself because there is no such thing. And he has another great quotation where he says, we are um, like children making mud pies in a slum fooling around with things like drink and sex and ambition because since we live in a slum, we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the seashore. And that we, we and then he says, we're far too easily pleased. And now he also has, don't ever ask me about the look. <laughs> um, the Screwtape Letters, if you haven't read the Screwtape Letters, please read the Screwtape Letters, it will change your life. But in one of them, he talks about um, the screw tape letters. It's all advice from Satan about how to trip up a Christian and make them miserable in their Christian life. And one of the letters, he says, the best thing you can do if you're trying to tempt somebody away from the Christian faith is to get them to be double-minded. So that their Christian faith is related also to some cause. And he says it doesn't really matter what the cause is. It can be a noble cause, like social justice or right to life or whatever it might be. Um, anti-racism, or it could be something ridiculous like, he says, Christianity and spelling reform. And he says it doesn't matter what the cause is, because what will happen over time is that eventually the Christianity will become a means to an end. Whatever the cause is will become the goal, and the Christianity is just a way of getting there. And he says when that happens, the patient is safely headed to our Father's house. Sobering. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's just to reiterate the Jesus beckons us to himself. He invites us to come to him and he gives us really the desires of our heart. Yes, but often he changes who we are to cultivate the deeper 
uh, most satisfaction in our hearts that we were made to have, which is in Him. So yes, uh, I'm curious how we're doing on questions. Who's doing it tonight? Mary Hollis. Mary Hollis, fantastic. We've got some. Great. Do you want to take a moment and uh, like the ones that you are interested in, or pose questions yourself? And while you're doing that, I can. Um, wanted to say we will have if you are interested there's a group that's starting some supper clubs coming up and I would love to invite y'all to that be looking out for an email tomorrow uh, Sarah Silcox Baldwin who is come to this for me to tell y'all that and should be a good time so they're starting up like once a month supper clubs should be a good good deal and part of what we're wanting to do with those is trying to build stronger community. One of the great things about Theology on Tap is we begin to build community here, but we want to have as many outlets to help facilitate that as possible. Yeah. How are we doing? Okay. I think we have some to start with. Okay. So, our top-ranked question for this evening is, how does a person change their heart to believe that God can provide joy more than all other things? Oh, that is such a great question. Um, I think there are a couple of things. The first thing I would say is that uh, you need to pray because God is the one who's going to change your heart. We are, we are incapable of changing our own hearts. However, we can put ourselves in positions uh, that make it more likely that God will be able to change our hearts. Uh, and part of what I mean by that is the more that you put yourself in places where God can speak to you and where you can experience uh, his joy, the more that will grow. So being in church, a church that preaches the word of God where there's strong worship, where you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, having committed deep, vulnerable relationships with other Christians, being in scripture study, having time alone with God. And one thing that people often neglect in our culture is just being outside and trying to cultivate a sense of wonder about the beauty that there is that is all around us. I don't know if you noticed the sky that was out there just a few minutes ago. Um, that kind of just profligate beauty is one of those things that can help shape your heart. So I think putting yourself in places where God can speak to you, praying that God would change your heart, and then thinking about where is it in the past where you've experienced joy in your relationship with God and making sure that wherever that was, that you are making space for those kinds of experiences in your life. Do you want to yeah, add that's, to that? Yeah, that's really good. I would say in addition to that, like most people tend to think about having our hearts changed. I'm glad what you said, it's ultimately God who does that, right? But we tend to think about the heart and, and our affections today in this kind of magical way that they just kind of come and go like, They'll just, all of a sudden, I'll feel it, you know, and that'll be great. But you'll work out. You'll probably run or exercise. Like, you don't actually, like, the first time you go running, you, you pretty much hate it, right? Like, and, but the heart's a little bit like this, right? Like, you actually start Training. to go, and, and the more you do it, this really weird thing happens about, like, two weeks in is you actually start craving to go for a run. And Andrew talked about this in his sermon, basically, but, like, that is exactly how our hearts and our affections work as well. Is you have to actually start uh, the habits, the training of it, and before you know it, you can look back and say, I, "All of a sudden, I'm different than I was. I do have 
different desires and longings because you're you're actually taking that step even when you don't want to do it and a lot of the things that you shared already but I would say that that's kind of one of the key things that you've got to understand if you're actually going to start longing for the, the things that you want to want, if that makes sense. And I think another key thing is to find someone that is experiencing that kind of joy and spend time with that person or those people, whether they're your age or older or younger. Um, being around people that are experiencing that kind of joy will help draw you into it. Does the overall lack of socioeconomic and racial diversity at St. Phillips ever continue? Why or why not? Does it what? Ever Does concern. it ever concern us? Um, yes. And uh, the reason it does is because the scripture is very clear um, about the fact that the body of Christ is a diverse body that has um, lots of different kinds of folks and then all of whom have gifts that are necessary for the upbuilding of the body. Um, so yes, I think that it is something that uh, we are certainly aware of and want uh, to try to grow in that over time. Um, the flip side of that is that I think that again, uh, there is a lot of brokenness in the world that we uh, can lean into to try to um, understand and to grow and to try to mirror more fully um, what God's creation should look like um, without the stain of sin in it. But while we are in a culture that is full of sin, it's going to be hard to completely overcome that. So. I would say, yes, it's a concern. It's something we pray about. It's something that we take into our planning and that we look at ways that we may be able to deal with. Um, but it's also something that we understand that that is not ever going to come completely right until we get uh, fully into the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. Yeah. Do you want to add to that? No, that? That was really well said. I think the danger can be when you start making things that are important but not what the church is primarily called to do the focus right and so when you make the focus trying to have a certain look or composition of people as opposed to what the new testament teaches which is proclaiming the good news of jesus christ to as Whoever far and wide yeah. as possible and being intentional about that um ultimately yeah as you said i love that it's it's no church on this earth is going to have a perfect representation of the full kingdom of God until we're finally in the culmination in heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. And so we long for that. We pray for that. We, we um, long to see justice actually brought on earth as it is in heaven. And we do this with an expectation that Jesus will come to write that at the end of the age. Yep. Good question. Yeah. What is your favorite parable in the Bible? That's easy for me. So um, my favorite is uh, the parable that uh, comes right after the, the, the passage that we just talked about, the um, he who does not hate his father and mother. Right after that, and I love this, the flow of scripture is just amazing. You really cheat yourself if you don't read what's on either side of things. But immediately after that comes the parable of the lost sheep followed by the parable of the lost coin, 
followed by the parable of the lost son. And the lost son is the parable that's sometimes called the parable of the two sons or the parable of the prodigal son. And that one is by far my favorite because Jesus could have chosen any parable, any story he wanted to, to talk about the way the Father loves us. And he chose this story where the Son does everything that could wound and hurt a Father's heart and embarrass him and just every worst thing that could happen. And that Son goes off and does all of those things. And yet, at the same time, the Father is waiting every day, looking for that Son to come back. And when the Son does come back, he doesn't get a lecture. The Father sees him and starts running toward him and throws his arms around him. And then the other part of the story is the other son who is also outside and refusing to come in. The father goes out to him and reasons with him and explains his love for him. And it's just so much about the initiative that God takes to love us when we are unlovable. And it is just a beautiful yeah, that that's mine as well, Brian. How about that? But I neither was primarily we friends. <laughs> it was primarily because of the older brother. I think that was for me realizing, like, man, what it means to be lost. We all think about the really bad, you know, pleasure-seeking, you know, younger brother, right? But for me, it was this is the rule follower who's still in the same way as the younger brother, just after the father's stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's me when I, when I first realized that. And so love that parable, the parable of the sower, right, and the seed like, um, is, is another one that we've mentioned. The talents, right, like um, all of these are really good ones. I love the idea of, you know, different people have different gifts and the amount that they're entrusted with comes from God. And we need to be faithful with what he's given us. So those are probably three good ones, I'd say, but for sure. Good one. We have a comment before we move into our next question. Right. The comment says, we should definitely have it in here again sometime. Y'all did a great job setting this up. Oh. Hey, Chris. All right. Brian. Yeah. Dorothy. Okay. Our next question is, my friend asked me how to have a relationship with God and what does that mean? I didn't know how to answer. That's a really honest thing to say. And yeah, it can be overwhelming when we're trying to talk about simple things of the faith, right? And just how do you have a relationship with God? And that's the very thing that we were made for, right? And so I think it starts with, I love what Jesus says. Uh, he's always with little children, right? And he teaches them to pray, addressing God as, as a father. And yeah, he, go, he does, like prayer is kind of the, you know, the, it, in warfare, the first thing the enemy wants to do is cut off communication, right? So like the first thing in any relationship is good communication, and the Lord's Prayer is a great place to start if you have no idea what to say. But just like little children kind of will babble to their parents at the very beginning, just starting out in that and, and talking uh, to the Lord is a great way to start. And, and not being afraid, I was talking to somebody this week about we're often, we're in such an individualistic culture that we tend to think anything that's authentic is only gonna happen with myself. But being able to pray with other people and, and learning how to pray with somebody else is a great way to start. Um, it can be a little nerve-wracking at first, just doing that in front of somebody, but what, what a gift to, to learn how to pray alongside somebody else. Yeah, and I think when, you know, when someone asks you that question, um, that is a, a pretty clear sign that they're spiritually 
seeking and hungry. And I think one of the things we can always encourage people to do is to remember that God is our Heavenly Father and we can talk to him just as if he were sitting in the chair right next to us. And if you want to have a relationship with God, you can pray, God, I don't understand very much about this. I don't know you, but I want to be in a relationship with you. Please show me more of who you are and you know, to, to help your friend and to pray with them. Say, I'll be praying with you. Um, maybe give them um, some scripture that you can read together um, and then get back together and, and pray together again. Uh, I think particularly for people who are not used to prayer, it just seems so weird. But I remember when I was very young in my Christian faith, somebody telling me, just imagine, it's like these two chairs here, just imagine you're in one and God's in the other. He's totally focused on wanting to listen to what the cry of your heart is. And then just speaking that you don't have to have big theological terms or Elizabethan language or anything like that. I'm glad you alluded to also like the scriptures, the Bible as well, because yeah, you can. Uh, we already talked about starting this whole topic off of just kind of inventing God the way we want Him to be, and reading, say, like the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John, just starting with with one of the four Gospels in the New Testament, reading that together. Uh, you can do that in a, in an hour or two, and, and you will start to see a historical person, Jesus Christ, who who was God in the flesh, and you can get to know who you're talking to. <laughs> in the way that he's revealed himself in Scripture. So a great place to start is uh, is one of those Gospels. Yes. How do we honor God with our time this week? Uh, that is a really good question. It's very practical. Uh, I think part of the way that you honor God with your time is that the moment that you wake up in the morning uh, you give yourself and give your day over to God. And I have a prayer, I mean, for me, not everybody needs to do it the way I do it, but what, what I find to be helpful, there's an old hymn that I've memorized that's a prayer, and the instant that I wake up, I just go through that and try to not just recite it by rote, but to really think about what it says. And I think that beginnings are really important, and that's something that you see throughout scripture, um, throughout the Hebrew culture, the way we begin is really important. So I think that's part of the way. Um, another thing that I think is really good is to have checkpoints throughout the day to help you refocus, because we all get caught up in all the different things we're doing. Um, Justin Whitmore Early's book, The Common Rule, is really helpful about that, of habits that help you to do exactly that. Yeah, it's such a big question. I would say the best thing you can do in some ways is go home tonight and look at what your week actually has in store. Like you don't realize how often things will creep in that you just haven't really planned. So actually having a schedule is a great way both to honor God, but to also give yourself the peace of mind to know right, this is what I ought to be doing, this is what I need, and you do have to balance it. What are actually the priorities? What are the things that I need to be doing? What are things that I can be let go of? But also carving out time if you have a really hectic schedule. A, a calendar, your <coughs> Google Calendar, whatever it is, can be a great tool to make sure that you have time to rest and to actually be filled up and restored. And so if you're not good, if you have a, a lot of things going on in your life, being really proficient at a calendar and a schedule will help you not just to honor God more, but to also experience 
um, more margin, I guess, in, in your life. And so a combination of scheduling, prioritizing, in addition to some of those things that you just shared. Were and I think one, one thing that I have found to be very helpful that's a little random, but it's a way of taking technology and making it your friend in your spiritual life. So I think it's a great discipline to get a couple of your friends who are Christians and agree that just randomly during the day, you're going to pray for each other. And when you pray for that person, to just text a scripture verse to the person. It doesn't have to have any commentary. Um, it shouldn't be just the reference. It should actually be the, the <laughs> words of the scripture verse. But just send those. And it is amazing how God will use that if you will do that, both in what you receive from others and what that means to the people that you're doing that with. Sorry, I'm just looking for these top quotes. Okay. How do we honor God in a work field that is very time demanding and out of our control? That's another very good question. Um, I think one of the first questions in that, um, that's kind of a preliminary one, is to be confident that that is where God has called you to be. Um, sometimes it is where God's called you to be. Sometimes it's not where God's called you to be, and it's more the result of the expectations that have been laid on us because of our education or our families or our income needs or whatever it might be. But if you're confident that it's where God has called you to be, then I think part of it is figuring out how to, in the course of the day, to approach what you're doing with prayer, to look for ways that you can be a minister of the grace of God in the midst of that. And um, there's some great stuff um, from the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. talking about that and the, the approach to work, um, and Dorothy Sayers about the approach to work. Um, part of our problem is that most of us are hardwired by our culture um, to complain incessantly about work and to kind of have a mind's bigger than yours thing about how awful our work is and what's being demanded of us. And that's just profoundly not helpful. Um, so I think trying to have an attitude of work is a gift um, if you're sure that that's where God's called you to be. Yeah. I think you shared uh, with me a while back when you were in law school, like it was just part of the ethos of everybody. It was like, you just, we're going to go 24-7 all the time. And everybody kind of, and you really didn't have to go quite like that, that hard, but it was just kind of in the air. And a friend of mine who is a pastor made a commitment, I remember in seminary, that he was going to actually, you know, in grad school they assign far more than you can ever possibly yes. need, right? And so um, he just said, you know what, I'm, no matter what, I'm going to take the weekend and not do any work on that. And it was a tremendous commitment, and to be able to actually do that, but often the point is kind of like what you're saying, what you think you have to do isn't always exactly what you have to be doing. Uh, but if it is, as you said, I would recommend uh, that, that book Justin Whitmore Early wrote called The Common Rule. He was a high-profile lawyer in Richmond, Virginia. And, I mean, just simple things like five minutes of prayer and first thing in the morning, right at noon, right at the end of the day. is a great little, like, little thing that you can do to stay focused on that. But also, the people that I know who have, like, done really well, business, executives in their career who have the same sort of intensity in their time, they all like have said if, if they didn't have rhythms where they could actually set aside some of that time, they, they'd just be burnt out. 
And so you've got to find a way. Um, it, it won't last for the long haul in that time. Either find a way out of that at a, at a certain time or <clears throat> look months down the road, and weeks ahead, to carve out some time to actually uh, to, to cease and to, to find time to refill your tank, yes. basically. Should we be cautious around Christians who seem to idolize race or other tertiary issues? Uh, I would say yes, uh, but I think we have to be cautious around any Christians or people who are not Christians um, who would make an idol out of any particular thing. And I think one of the one of the things that is so tricky, and this is a little bit what we were getting at when we were talking earlier, is that being concerned about racial justice is a godly thing. It's in the scriptures. Jesus talks about that. You know, it is very clearly something that Christians should be concerned about. But the problem is that when we get overly concerned about a particular issue, we begin to lose sight of the gospel. And we begin to judge other people that have not got the same passion that we have about that particular issue. And that can begin to cause division in the body of Christ. And one of the things that's very clear is that um, division in the body of Christ is not something that God likes to see. So um, I think part, part of the um, the difficult thing is that in Christianity, uh, almost everything is a tension between two extremes. And that very often the place that God calls us to be is in the middle of that tension. And it's hard to be in the middle of a tension because you're getting pulled on both sides. But I think that is very often where we are called to be. So I think that um, we have to make sure that the Word of God is our guide and that we're deeply invested in the Word of God and that we're not swayed by other people's um, opinions about things, but that we are setting our priorities according to what we see in God's Word and what we believe He's calling us to through His Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's, I don't have much to add to that other than I think we tend to see, particularly in our culture, outside of Christianity even, just this temptation to um, to do us versus them all the time and to constantly not assume the best in other people and I think that is just profoundly unhelpful so uh, we do I echo everything you said absolutely and would add that we also need to be aware of how we posture ourselves uh, over against other people and the importance of not making really any good thing into an idol it's one yeah. of the main things we've been talking about but um, one of the marks of the Christian life is, is a deep humility, right? And oftentimes we can we can get on our hobby horse or whatever the issue is uh, and, and make it seem like we're the ones who are truly serving Jesus. And I think um, really those who are uh, following after Christ uh, have this deep sense of humility in them. And I think that's important in, in conversation, but also uh, just in relationships too. And I think the other thing that's so important is to be profoundly Jesus-centered. Because I think when you look at Jesus and look at Jesus' priorities, and remember that Jesus lived in an incredibly unjust age where there was human slavery and trafficking, um, there was an oppressive government, um, just all sorts of horrible stuff. But Jesus did not focus on those issues. What he focused on was first drawing people to his kingdom. 
and that that was his focus because when you are drawn into his kingdom, then that is where all of those things that tear us apart in this world begin to fade away and the person who's the slave and the person who is free become brothers in Christ and that changes every dynamic of that interaction. So I think that often out with, with a, a right understanding that racial justice or whatever it might be um, is important, we get the cart before the horse and address the symptom rather than the heart cause. That's right. Yeah, that's really good. How do we honor God with our gender? Yeah, boy, that's a that's a really important one, I think. It is. Um, so one of the things I would say is that obviously gender dysphoria is a, is a real thing that's out there. There's, uh, I was talking with somebody not that long ago about um, the reality of the fall, right? I think so often we completely miss this. Like God created the world good, and human beings, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. They went their own way, and a curse fell on all of creation. And our relationship with God isn't as it ought to be. Our relationship with others and even our relationship within ourselves is not the way it's supposed to be. So all of us, whether it's gender, sexuality, whatever it is, is going to, we're going to have some level of this isn't exactly as we may want. And so I think starting with that is, is a really important place to be. But recognizing that Jesus has um, given us the bodies that we do have, right? And so... And trusting ourselves even when we don't feel uh, necessarily like this is the way it ought to be, knowing that he is ultimately going to right all the wrongs in the age to come. Yeah, and I think the other aspect of that that's so important that we have also sort of lost touch with in our culture is the whole idea of God as creator. And God as creator, um, even though there's the fall and there's sin, God's original creation God's creation of male and female is good. And um, we are told, not just in the Old Testament, but by Jesus quoting the same passage himself, um, that we are made in the image of God, that God made us male and female in his image. And so I think the more that we lean into um, the biology and design that we've been created with, um, that that is the path that leads to health and wholeness. And that when we try to go against the way we are created, when we try to create our own reality instead of accepting God's givenness of creation, that's where we can get into anxiety and um, all manner of things that are not life-giving. Yeah. One more? Okay. How should Christians respond to stress? Just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there's a really funny video that y'all should look up. You're way too young to know about this, but there used to be a TV show called The Bob Newhart Show, um, and Bob Newhart is a comedian, and there's this one scene where he is a psychiatrist, and um, basically, everybody that comes into his office and they like bear their souls about their problems, and they're like, "Doctor, what can I do?" And he's just like, "Just stop it, <laughs> just stop it," and they're like, but, uh, "Just stop it." Um, that is not helpful. 
So um, the worst thing that you can do when you're stressed is to say, okay, I'm just not gonna be stressed. Yeah. That's like if I say, stop thinking about pink elephants. The immediate thing that comes into your head is a pink elephant. So if you feel like there's too much stress in your life, one of the things that I would encourage you to do is to do some scripture study on stress and anxiety. Look at what Jesus says about that. Um, talk to a Christian friend or a pastor um, about that. Um, talk to some people in your life who don't seem to really just be stressed all the time and ask them, how, how is it that you're not stressed all the time? And then also try to think through, what are the times where I particularly feel stressed and see if you can identify um, particular things that may be helping exacerbate that. Yeah, yeah so I would say short-term solution, breathe probably, take some deep breaths, get some, I love the part uh, in First Kings where Elijah's totally stressed out and freaking out and the Lord gives him a nap and some food. Yes. And he, he actually like wakes up and he's like, a little bit, okay, what was that? things are a little bit better now, all right. So like stop gap in the like the very beginning, just take some deep breaths, try to walk around, be attuning to your body, and um, try to get outside, move your environment, take some, uh, eat some food, that sort of thing. But the long term solution is you're probably overworking. I would say there's probably zero margin in your life if you're feeling stressed. So again, going we've talked about this, you have to have a, a, a healthy work, um, you know, study rest balance, and we just don't live in a culture that does that with technology, with the, um, the kind of rat race that everybody is on. Now more than ever, we are constantly expecting to be always on the go. And your body's just not gonna last if you do that. Uh, so you have to be able to take a, a hard look at the big, um, as you said, the audit of your life, how you're spending your time. And you have, probably gonna have to make some hard decisions about what needs to go. Um, that's more often than not what I see in folks. Yes. But. And just stop it, you know. Right? That's, <laughs> no, that's not helpful. Well, thank you all for coming. We really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. We, we might have to come back uh, in here. This has been great. But next time, in two weeks, we'll be back at Henry's in the Whiskey Room. Unless their plumbing's broken. But yeah, if they haven't fixed their plumbing, we'll, we will be back here. But, um, yeah, thanks so much for coming out. And we'll be hanging out for a little bit. So And tell your friends and check out the podcast. Oh, that's right. Yes. Thank you. Ryan. All right. Thanks for coming. All right.